Good morning, church. Good morning to those of you who have joined us online as well. Now, for the last three weeks, we have focused really on the family, turning the hearts of parents to children, turning the hearts of children to parents, of course, turning also the hearts of spouses to each other. It's a message that's relevant not just for us uh, at home, but also for us uh, in the church as well. And it's a really good wake-up call, I think, for all of us to live our Christian lives at home every single day and not just be Sunday Christians. And so we need to begin to live our Christian lives really at home as well. And two practical expressions of turning our hearts to each other, whether it's our family at home, our biological family, or the spiritual family of God, are saying sorry and releasing forgiveness. To apologize and to release forgiveness. This is a very practical expression of turning our hearts to each other. But as we all know, these are precisely what makes relationships and reconciliation so difficult. So after the service, the first service, I was chatting with a few people and we were saying, yeah, it's now families or so, we hardly hear sorries from each other, right? And this spreads across all age group. Uh, we seldom see our parents apologize to each other, right? And then so and so forth, we hardly apologize to each other as well. Now today's sermon title comes from a rather famous song by Elton John. I just realized Pastor Emmanuel only knows one song by Elton John, Candle in the Wind, but this is not the one that he knows. <laughs> The lyrics of this chorus goes like this. It's getting more and more absurd. It's sad, so sad. Why can't we talk it over? Oh, it seems to me that sorry seems to be the hardest word. Heard of this song? <laughs> Only some people nodding head. You're the one to review your age, huh? but never mind. It's okay. Sorry seems to be the hardest word. If we are honest, I think it's really difficult for us to say sorry to others. It's equally difficult as well for us to say sorry as much as we long for an apology from someone else. Both ways are difficult, right? Don't dare to say yes. It's true. It's difficult for apologies to work both ways. And frequently we think of the hurt that others have dealt to us without acknowledging the hurt that we have also dealt in retaliation. And in many conflict situations, it's always escalating. Someone may have started the wrong, but generally the response usually tends to escalate things, and so eventually both parties are always at fault in some way or another. Now Jesus says it very plainly, first take out the plank in your own eyes before you look at the speck of dust in the eyes of your brother or sister. And that's the context of the church. As brothers and sisters in Christ, of course we also have disagreements and conflicts, but before you look at the speck, the imperfection in someone else's eyes, look at the own planks, look at the planks in our own eyes. And then as sim- the simple reality is that as human beings, sinful human beings, we tend to overlook our own thoughts. But we magnify the thoughts of others. Whoa, so much hurt done to me. But we don't realize how much hurt we have done to others in return as well. Now today's focus is not on getting others to apologize to us because that's not possible. <laughs> it's beyond our control. We cannot force someone else to apologize to us. What is within our control is our willingness to apologize Number one, to say sorry if we know we have hurt someone and to forgive if we know someone has hurt us. Now, I'm not talking about a simple sorry for bumping into someone, you know, or, you know, you maybe forgot to buy a grocery item. You can, it's a genuine mistake, say sorry. Now, that's easy. Apologies are hardest when it goes into the core of our beings. For example, when it comes to our personality, when it comes to our deliberate choices, especially choices we have thought about it, we thought about it and we decided to make a certain decision. And then when the decision turns out to be wrong, it's very hard to apologize. 
or our desired preferences. We want a certain way, uh, things to be done in a certain way. And so when we don't get those things done in our way, when we want to apologize, it's very difficult. Apologies are always hardest when our pride is wounded. That's the reality, right? Apologies are hardest when our pride is wounded. It's very hard for us to apologize. Last week, Pastor Jenny gave us the backstory. All our conflicts can really be traced back to Adam and Eve. Clearly, they had made a deliberate choice to disobey God, and they never said sorry to God or to each other. Instead, they only blame each other. The story of our lives. <laughs> Instead of accepting responsibility for our faults, we blame everyone else but ourselves. And I wonder if things would have been very different if only they had repented, they said sorry God, and said sorry to each other. Probably we won't be here today, but it's the reality of human sin. We refuse to apologize to each other and to God. We call also the parable of the prodigal son preached by Dr. Cha Fang Fong. It took a long while before the rebellious, wayward younger son was ready to apologize. If you look at this familiar parable, if this younger son didn't hit rock bottom until he was penniless, he even had to eat the, want to eat the food from the pigs, if he didn't hit rock bottom, he probably wouldn't have apologized. Neither did the defiant elder son. He never apologized for embarrassing his father. It was his duty to go in and host the banquet. But throughout the whole parable, we didn't see him apologize at all. And though we don't really have to look too far away, just look at our own lives. I look at my own life. I realize, I think of many occasions, where I found it very hard to say sorry. Because to say sorry is to recognize I'm broken. I was wrong. I was at fault. I made the wrong choice. And all these are difficult for us because it comes with pride. <laughs> we have to swallow our pride to say, yes, I was wrong. I also can think of many occasions where I wanted someone else to apologize, but I never received the apology. And so it works both ways. It's hard for us to apologize. We also very find it difficult for others to apologize to us. And this is true both at home and also again in the church where we are called to be a spiritual family. In fact, I can easily name some people who left the church because they were hurt. They never received their apology. You know what the job description of a pastor, I think number one should be reconciliation, conflict management. You all think pastors preach, huh? but actually one of the key roles of the pastor is to help people resolve conflict, mediate. That should be JD number one, not preaching. <laughs> but I also want us to know that conflicts are not just prevalent in the, our church today, but really it's been there since the early church. Lest we think that the early church is so perfect. No. Let's look at the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. Apostle Paul writes, I plead with your dear, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contented at my sight in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Verse 2 again, Paul writes, I plead with your dear, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And so we see even in the early church, there was already conflict. So it's not new. We continue to live in a sinful, fallen world. Yes, Jesus has died for us, paid the price for our sins, so and so forth. But we need to continue to grow in Christian maturity and godliness. Come, let us pray as we ask God to help us to hear the word today. Lord, we thank you for the scripture. Your word is always life. Your word brings healing. Forgive us, Lord, for the many times we have run away from your word, even though it was a clear word. And so, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit 
Grant us that power to hear your word and most importantly to obey it this day. Set us free as well from the burdens of bitterness and unforgiveness that truly your church may be a witness and all the families represented here may be a haven of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, someone once said this, if you ever found a perfect church, the moment you join it, it's imperfect. <laughs> okay, so number one, there's no perfect church in this whole world. Even from the days of Philippians, the early church, there's never been a perfect church and it continues to be imperfect and we all must continue to grow as the body of Christ. And surely we also recognize there's sin in us and that's why we, whenever we join a community, Expecting it to be perfect, the reality is there's no perfect community and neither are we. And when we join imperfect people, there will always be conflict. And so that's the natural part of life. So we need to recognize sin is present in each of us. And sin is also present in the pastor. Okay? Don't think the pastor is perfect. We are not. We are also fallen human beings. We need to grow in maturity. And there's sin also in the pastors and the leaders. Now back to the early church in Philippi. Clearly, there is some level of tension and disagreement between Yodia and Syntyche. Apostle Paul had to urge, plead, beg, these are the nuances in the Greek word, for the two of them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, who are these two people? Actually, we have no idea because these are the, this is the only occasion that their names were used. There is no context whatsoever about who these two people are. We are also not told by the scriptures what exactly the conflict or the issue is. We have no idea what they were dis- disagreeing about. But maybe that's the wisdom of, of God. And that's the whole point. You and I can easily be Yodia and Syntyche. Because you and I also have a thousand reasons we can get angry with each other. Right? And we see this happening all the time at home again and also in the church. We find ourselves in the same situation. And for many of us, we carry the wounds in our hearts because sorry does seem to be the hardest word. Sorry does seem to be the hardest word in many of our situations. We find it hard to apologize and we long for an apology which hardly comes. And so the end result of all this is that we have a bunch of wounded people in church and also at home. Let's face the reality. Let's be honest. There's a lot of wounded people in church and at home carrying bitterness and unforgiveness towards each other and sometimes also towards ourselves. So this healing service, the theme really is about forgiveness. If we want to be healed, we need to recognize the inner healing dimension is equally important and not just the physical ailments. You see, we want God to be our divine physician, to be our doctor, our divine doctor to heal us. But can healing be possible if a patient does not come to the physician in the first place? If our hearts are hardened, if we don't even want to come to God, how can we ever receive healing? And even if the patient comes to the doctor, if the patient is not entirely truthful, it's going to be very difficult. Not impossible, but very difficult for the doctor to give the right diagnosis and treatment. Let's give you a very radical example. Imagine your leg is pain, but you come to the GP and then you say, my lungs are aching. Now the doctor eventually maybe find the way that your leg is painful, but it's going to be a long process to get there. So why not let's be honest about it with God and with each other and come to God honestly because God already knows but God gives us the freedom and choice to be honest, to share with Him exactly what's going on inside. And So if you want to be healed by God today, my plea to all of you is that you allow God to examine your hearts deeply and to deal with the bitterness and unforgiveness. Over the course of pastoral ministry, I've been trained in inner healing and some of the points that I'll be making later on comes from the track 
His ministry, His stands for healing the inmost spirit, so the inner healing ministry. Again, we want God to often we want God to heal our physical ailments, you know, whether it's a cancerous growth or tension headache, whatever it is. But often we don't want to disturb God with our inner closet, our emotions, without recognizing that actually many of our physical ailments are often tied, not always, huh? not always tied, but sometimes it's tied to our deeply seated emotional wounds. Just give you a simple psychosomatic scenario. We all get tension headaches, right? Back aches. And number one reason is stress. Oh, we all know stress. But actually, how do you quantify stress? And where did this stress come from? You can say work, you can say family. But do we really go deeper to, you know, to address what are these underlying issues that are causing the stress? Did we take on more than we can chew? Right? Maybe you're not supposed to take on so much in the first place, but you don't want to address the deeper issues. Maybe you want to run away from home so you work more. Maybe you want to run away from work so you stay at home more. Whatever it is, it's causing stress either way, but you're not addressing the underlying issue which is escaping from the reality. You think of a conflict situation at home, for example, a married couple quarrels, or you can quarrel with your parents, right? Between children and parents. Do we really take time to unearth the real problem? We can just say bad communication, poor communication, but that's not really addressing the issue. Of course, if you need coaching, how to talk better, of course, you can go for uh, to see a marriage therapist, you know, or family counselor, so and so forth. But the deeper issue could be the lack of time, the lack of mutual understanding, taking time to listen. Are we not addressing these deeper issues? And of course, naturally, the stress will build up. We also take into account that, you know, we live in a sinful world. Both husband and wife or children may be equally stressed by work and school. And so the tension spills over into the family. Jason Wong shared his own story, how he came back, right? Very tired from work without realizing his wife was also tired from work the whole day at home. Homework is tiring work, in case you don't know. <laughs> homework is tiring. I'm not just talking about just doing school homework. The chores at home are tiring. And if, unless we take time to share each other's burdens, it's going to lead into many conflict situations. And more often than not, a lot of conflict and quarrels perpetuate because of this built-up of unforgiveness and bitterness. First time, okay, let go. Second time, wow, built-up. Third time, fourth time, by the time come to the hundredth time, one small word, one neglect, boom, volcano eruption. <laughs> Sounds familiar? All, now the one look at me, right? Because we all know it's true. <laughs> And this happens in all our lives. And what happens at home also happens in church. There's conflict in the cell group sometimes. There's conflict within the ministry, within leaders, pastors, and leaders, so many levels. That's why I said our JD job description number one is Ministry of Reconciliation. <laughs> so unforgiveness really is one of the biggest unspoken issues in churches and at homes. So let's talk about it today. I want to grab uh, the bull by its horn and focus on the topic of forgiveness. We want to turn our hearts to each other and to God. We need to address this big obstacle. So five areas. Why do we need to forgive? Secondly, what forgiveness does not mean. Third, what forgiveness does mean. And then the outcome of forgiveness. When you forgive, what will life look like? And then finally, some practical steps that we can take towards forgiveness. So first of all, why do we need to forgive? And the most important reason is this. We forgive because we have been forgiven. That God has forgiven us. The good news 
of Christianity, the good news of God's grace is simply this. God has extended His forgiveness to all of us who believe. It's a free gift. That's the good news. You no longer have to carry on your shoulders or in your hearts this guilt, this burden of unforgiveness. God has made it possible for us to be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, if anyone has the right not to forgive, it's God. He showers rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. He does good for the creation by looking after it, sustaining it. Uh, All of us have rebelled against God. If anyone has the right to be angry because there's injustice, it's God. And yet, He has taken the first step to initiate reconciliation by sending His Son, Jesus. And Jesus, we know, was completely innocent. Like I said, in conflict situation, hardly one party is 100% innocent. Usually, we all have our parts, you know, to make things worse. But not from God's point of view. Jesus was 100% completely innocent, and yet, He paid the price for our sin. And so if anyone has the right not to forgive, it's God, and yet He has demonstrated the greatest example of all, to forgive in the midst of great injustice at a great cost to His own self. And so that's the main reason why we have to forgive, because God has forgiven us. Second reason, based on the Philippians passage, we forgive because we want to contend for the gospel. We want to continue to proclaim the gospel with integrity, to be good witnesses. To proclaim the gospel, on one hand, to say God loves you, And yet you harbor unforgiveness in your heart. If we are honest again, that's hypocrisy. How can I say God loves you, but actually I don't love you? (laughs) That's some level of hypocrisy and we ask the Lord to help us to change our hearts. It's not easy, of course, and that's why only God's love can transform our hearts to love and be that genuine channel of the proclamation of the gospel. And so as Christians, we are supposed to be marked by unconditional love and forgiveness. Imagine a scenario like this. A newcomer comes to church. He hears the gospel message that he or she is freely forgiven of her sins or his sins. At once, this person believes, feels the joy of God, feels his sin or her sins forgiven. But not long after, this newcomer meets several Christians who are unforgiving. How will this newcomer feel? Hey, how come... These people are so unforgiving. Will this person continue in church? Unlikely not, because there is some level of hypocrisy. And again, I want to say, no church is perfect. Surely we will encounter this situation, where you will meet someone who is still bitter and unforgiving, and as God has extended grace to us, let us extend grace to each other. Learn to let go, let, the, let God be the judge, and trust God that His justice will prevail one day on our part. We need to learn to forgive because we want to contend for the gospel. I genuinely believe one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel proclamation is not the lack of preachers, but the lack of forgiveness. There's so many preachers out there, so many Bible study teach, uh, leaders, teachers, you can find it for yourself. But the greatest witness of the church is us, the relationship we have. And that's what people want to see, that we are the forgiven people of God, and we can show the world a different way of living. Do you know in the old Holy Communion ritual, the original ritual, after we confess our sins, we are supposed to stand up and reconcile with each other. To pass the peace of God to each other is a symbolic act of the old tradition of being reconciled with each other. And then, after you are reconciled, you go to the communion table. 
That is the original way of doing Holy Communion. You see the significance of that? As deeply forgiven people of God, we forgive each other, then we go to the Lord's table and offer our worship to Him. Third reason we forgive is because we want to continue to grow as Christians. We want to continue to grow as Christians and we don't want to be disqualified because unforgiveness does disqualify us. I preach somewhere else. Don't think that you are once saved, always saved. Oh, I said the sinner's prayers once, uh, therefore I'm always saved. No. We can lose our salvation as Christians and unforgiveness is one of those areas that can easily cause our names to be struck off the book of life. I think that's the reason why Apostle Paul deliberately used book of life. It doesn't mean that once your names are there, it's forever there, you know. It can easily be struck off. And unforgiveness is one of those issues we really need to be careful of and don't let the root of bitterness, the book of Hebrews says, don't let the root of bitterness grow in our hearts. So these are the three reasons why we need to forgive. Now what does forgiveness not mean? Number one, forgiveness does not mean agreeing with the other person. It's very important to recognize this. It doesn't mean that the person has done right or the person is not guilty. In fact, it's probably the reverse. The person is guilty, has done wrong, and is incorrect. And so when we forgive, it doesn't mean that we say the person is correct. No. Secondly, it doesn't mean that we forget because the reality is that we do not forget. Right? But... Over time, forgiveness, uh, forgetting may be the result of forgiveness, but only if that forgiveness is worked through with God. The difference is this. Once we choose to forgive and we are generally forgiven over time, the event, the person that we remember, no longer causes pain and bitterness. Right? So that's uh, when forgiveness truly happens, when we recall the event, but it is no longer painful for us. Third, we need to recognize forgiveness does not mean waiting for time to heal. Because time alone does not heal. It needs to be processed with God. That's when healing takes place. Time plus processing with God, talking it out with people, so and so forth. That's when healing takes place. Time alone will not bring healing. Confronting the pain is important for healing. Forgiveness allows the pain and anger to be released and not to be swept under the carpet. Louis Smith famously wrote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. Right? So set ourselves free from the, the burden of bitterness. For forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. What's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Forgiveness is one-sided. It requires only you. But reconciliation requires two people. And in certain cases, reconciliation can no longer happen. Maybe it's a deceased parent. How are you going to reconcile with the person that is no longer around? It could be a stranger, someone who you know somehow did you great harm, but the person you are no longer able to contact this person. And so in certain cases, reconciliation is no longer possible. But in those cases, you can still forgive. Of course, there is a place for reconciliation, and Jesus did teach that if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you are supposed to reconcile, right? And then come back to offer your gift. We recognize there is a place for reconciliation, but forgiveness does not mean that we can reconcile immediately. There are many layers sometimes to work through, and without a professional therapist, for example, it's practically impossible to reconcile. But still, there is a point where we need to forgive because it's contingent on us. 
even if the person who hurt us does not say sorry, there is still our personal responsibility to learn to forgive. Finally, forgiveness does not equate to future trust. When someone has sinned against us, trust is broken with both men and with God. The offer of forgiveness does not mean that trust can be easily restored. And in many cases, you cannot restore the trust. And that's not what I'm asking you to do as well. When we choose to forgive, I'm not saying that you must trust the person again. In fact, if you trust a scammer, for example, again, it's foolishness, right? You don't want to trust the same person for the wrong, same wrongdoing over and over again. So it may not mean all these dimensions. But what does forgiveness really mean? First of all, it means acknowledging the pain and the hurt. Let's be honest, we need to recognize the pain and the hurt is there. If you can't even recognize it, then it's very hard to move on to the other steps. Second, it is a choice, an act of the will to forgive. We do not forgive only when we feel like it or when we feel that the time is right. Forgiveness is a choice to become like the God who has forgiven us, the God we worship. I want to be like you, God. Help me to be willing to forgive. If you're not willing to forgive, I mean not ready to forgive, at least pray, God, make me willing that one day I'm be ready to forgive. I still remember, you know, I shared this before and I think it's a good testimony to share again. I came from a broken family, so my parents divorced out of extramarital affair. My dad left the family when I was only in kindergarten. And so for more than 10 over years of my life, childhood, I grew up without a father. If there's betrayal in the family, this kind of betrayal is one of the worst. I can still imagine, I can still think back rather, recall in my memory how my mom was sitting there smoking. She doesn't even smoke. As a result of the divorce, she, was, she took up smoking for that short period. I can still remember her telling us that she had to go to the family courts to settle the divorce. It was painful, not just for that season, for over a decade. That betrayal, the hurt, the pain is there. It's real. But when I became a Christian, JC time, became a more committed Christian, one of the first, first things that God told to me was, you need to forgive your father. In this case, it was a clear wrong, obviously. <laughs> no need to argue about it. It's clearly wrong, but I needed to forgive. Did I forgive immediately? No. I struggled with God. Why must I forgive for two years? Why, why, why? Obviously, it's wrong. But ultimately, out of obedience to God, I chose to forgive. And I had to keep forgiving because the pain would come back from time to time. But I chose to keep forgiving each time. Fast forward 20, 30 years since I became a Christian, not 30 years, 20 over years. Today, I'm reconciled with my dad. I go out and meet with him. Everything is like back to normal. I have a good relationship with him. So God is the one who wants to bring good outcomes. But if it begins with us, choosing to forgive. Forgiveness does mean, you know, that you don't stay a victim. You no longer just push the responsibility away, but you take responsibility of the part of forgiving. You don't wait until forgiveness is deserved. Until today, I, I never heard my dad apologize. <laughs> but he's a good man. But, you know, of a certain generation and vintage, you hardly hear the sorry one. Nah. <laughs> right? So, it's okay. But I have forgiven because it's not contingent on his apology. It's what God is asking me to do. We choose to release mercy instead of judgment and we leave the judgment to God and we choose Romans 12, importantly, verse 17, to repay evil with good. Instead of repaying evil with evil, we choose to repay evil with good. That's what forgiveness means. 
The outcome or the way of forgiveness is found in verses 4 to 9. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of our favorite Bible verses, right? But do we recognize the context in which it's situated? It's after you have resolved the conflict, you are of the same mind in the Lord. You can disagree without being disagreeable. In that context, you are of the same mind in the Lord. The unity is not of uniformity, but in the Lord of the same mind. Then you will see joy, rejoice in the Lord. Of course, when there's reconciliation, there's rejoicing. Then there is gentleness. Do not be anxious about anything. And then the peace of God. If we want the peace of God, we need to recognize there's an important place to deal with unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts. And then verses 8 to 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So the way or the outcome of forgiveness or the way to forgiveness, really there are two sides of a coin. Imagine this cup. This cup can only fill one kind of fluid. It's either the purity of God's love or the darkness of bitterness. You cannot feel both. You can only take one. And I've done this some illustration, object lesson somewhere else. If it's filled with darkness, the only way darkness can be overcome is by keep pouring the purity of God's love. And that's the way we can overcome bitterness. There's no way we can do it on our own. We need God's help. And healing services, there's no better time than to recognize that we need God's help to bring about inner healing as well. And so if we want to be always rejoicing, always gentle, never anxious, filled with the peace of God, we want that, right? Let's deal with unforgiveness and bitterness. We need to repent, all of us, including myself. Unless we recognize that we, our hearts are hardened. That's the great sin that we have all committed. Our hearts are hardened towards God and each other. And the step to forgiveness begins by recognizing we have sinned ourselves, each of us. And we come before God recognizing that we've also carried judgment towards Him even. Sometimes we judge and blame God. God, why didn't you protect me? And then we are angry towards God too. So unless we repent and come before God, it's very hard to go on to the final step of today's sermon about steps to take in forgiving. The first really is repentance. Recognizing we have placed ourselves ahead of God, above God, when we chose not to forgive. And then we can go on to the specific steps. To be specific in forgiving by naming the person or the group or the organization. And some of us may carry hurts against a certain company, group of people. Right? We need to be specific in naming them and also naming the offense, the specific sins committed against us, whether it's the use of really uh, nasty words, could be betrayal, could be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. We need to be specific in naming the person and the offense. Number two, to keep on choosing to forgive. Forgiveness, you need to understand, is a continuous process. And if you live in a situation where the offense continues, Surely you need to keep on forgiving because the offender is a sinner and sin goes deep into our inner core. And so it will take a long time 
you know, to change the inner core. And so perpetuation of the sin or the offense may continue in certain cases. How many times do we forgive a person? Jesus uh, told this to Peter. Peter came to him. How many times do I forgive my brother? Matthew 18. Up to seven times. He thought, wow, eight times I can go for it, man. But Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's 490. If you are going to keep 490, uh, it's a long list. And so Jesus is effectively saying, don't do that. Keep forgiving. So this is the Jewish way of saying that the number is so big, it becomes impossible. You have to keep forgiving. And forgiveness, some people say, is likened to an onion. Sometimes it's layered. You have to allow process with God over time. What is the issue that you needed to forgive? So in my dad's case, I had to say, first of all, I forgive him for betraying the family. Then the next year, God dealt with me the next year, for subsequent year, was I forgive him for not being present in my life. And next layer, or not teaching me certain things I should have, not helping me to grow in my self-confidence as a young man, so and so forth. There are many layers. And we need to allow God to process us, walk us through all these things. As I mentioned, forgiveness is only complete when the memory no longer hurts us. And we can share even as a testimony. We also need to learn to forgive ourselves sometimes. And sometimes we somehow wrongly, especially if these sins or hurts were you know, done to you when you were young, when you were children, you often have the wrong perspective. And so when I was young, I thought to myself, oh, because I was naughty that my parents divorced. But of course, I know now, it's not true at all. But when you are young, you have a childish way of looking at things. You don't fully understand things. And so you may have carried that guilt upon yourself. And God wants to let us free from that guilt and burden that we have carried uh, unnecessarily. So remember that if God forgives us, refusing to forgive others or ourselves is really placing ourselves above God. And that's sin. We are not above God. If God has forgiven and is every right again to be angry, but yet He has chosen to forgive, we really cannot place ourselves above God. Forgive ourselves and forgive others. Don't ever think to yourself, this person cannot be forgiven or I cannot be forgiven. That is not true. That's contrary to the gospel proclamation. It is the good news of God's grace freely given to all. And it came at the cost of His Son. That is the, pay, the, the price that Jesus paid. It's an important price, a great price. Let's honor that. And then finally, forgive from the heart. Uh, acknowledge the pain. Release them to God. Repent of anger, bitterness, and judgment sown. And finally, if you can, really, to live out what Jesus taught, to pray and bless your enemy. Bless the person who has hurt you and offended you. Now, I want to say here that negative emotions do take time to go away. And so even if you make a choice to say, God, I want to forgive, I choose to forgive, it doesn't mean that you will stop crying immediately. It doesn't work that way. Right? We are still emotional beings and our emotions are always tied up somewhere in knots and it will take time for all these knots to be untangled. It's okay to cry and over years or even, and that's fine. The main thing is learning to start walking in the way of forgiveness. Start walking in it. It doesn't happen immediately, but we need to continue in the way of forgiveness. Let me invite the music team up as I just share some of the words of knowledge that the prayer ministers have been praying and asking the Lord for.